Good morning to everyone. It's good to continue to be here with you, going through the first epistle of the Apostle John to all these churches in Asia Minor. So, I would like to begin prayer before I just even begin to say the title today. Father God, we commend ourselves to you in this morning. We praise you, God. We'll give you all the glory, all the praise, because you are the Almighty God. Father, we're so thankful. Thankful for the provision you have made through Christ. Father, thank you because we can have fellowship with you through the blood of Christ. Father, we ask your help in this morning. We ask you, please, that you help us to understand your word. That your Holy Spirit in us may help us to learn, apply this word to our hearts and to our lives. Father, we need you. We need your help in this time. We praise you. We love you. And we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we began giving some information about this uh, letter And uh, we went um, through verse 1 to verse 4. We gave some reasons why this letter was uh, relevant for us today. And uh, we although went through those uh, four first verses. And uh, we found that uh, John, who was a very near witness of uh, Jesus' ministry here on earth... He's telling us there that we can have fellowship in Him. And uh, that fellowship should bring us joy, a complete joy in Him. So today we're going to be, we're going to begin in verse 5. Uh, but we're going to do something. We're going to deal with a section that begins in verse 5. Five and ends in verse 2 of the second chapter. So this section, we're going to handle it in two parts. Again, that, part, that section from 1.5 to 2.2, we're going to handle it in two parts. And today, we're going to be talking about these specific verses. 5, 6, 8, and 10. I titled this... Two-part sermon, right living, fellowship, and sin. I, every time I go to Isaiah 11 and I read what is happening in there, it's, I cannot help myself. I, I read that. And I, I get a sense of awe when I read those verses. For example, I will read you from 6 to 9. It says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear 
will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This passage in Isaiah 11 is kind of weird when we read about it because we see something that we don't see today here. We see animals that normally would go like a lion that would eat or a wolf that would eat a lamb. And we see in this portion that they are together and there's no violence. What is happening here? And uh, Isaiah 11 gives us a picture of the millennial kingdom. In the millennial kingdom, there's not going to be seen. And that's why when I read this, and, and I will encourage you to read it too, you read that part and you say, how is this possible? There's something weird. There's something that is not working in here. Well, it's that there's no sin in the millennial kingdom. But today we have to deal with sin. And our fellowship is being hindered by sin. Since Genesis 3, sin is putting us apart from God. But God had a provision. He sent His only Son so we may overcome that fence or that barrier that we have between God and us. So that's what we're going to be talking about these two sermons. About how sin is affecting our life. And we're going to see how John gives some advisement to those people at that time that are going to be good for us today. So the main idea we're going to be looking at today is that sin deeply hinders our relationship with God. Our fellowship with God. Sin deeply hinders our relationship with God. And uh, the question we're going to be answering, is, it should be there in your handouts. How does sin hinder our fellowship with God? And we will be looking at two features of sin that we can see here. Two things are happening with, with sin that hinder our relationship with God. Okay, the first one, as you may see there, is that sin opposes God's character. Let's begin in verse 5. It's where we are. John is telling to the churches in Asia, Asia Minor, This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light, and in Him... There is no darkness at all. At the beginning of verse 5, we see there is a kind of... Uh, John is making a link between the first part and this one, saying this is the message we have heard from him. It's not his own opinion. It's not 
whatever he wants to say. This is the message that he heard from him, from the same Lord. And he's saying on the second part, God is light. I want you and me to stop there and begin to think about God as light. We, when we studied the whole Bible, we be, begin like there on Exodus and we see how Moses came down from Mount Sinai. But there was something weird in Moses' face. What was happening? It was so bright that the people said, What's going? What's going on in Moses' face? He was in the presence of God up there. And uh, I don't know how that happened. I cannot physically or, or explain that. His face was shining. He needed to put a veil over him. Can you understand that? I don't know. After more like into the gospel, we see that Jesus took those three near or close apostles and, and took them to a mount, the Mount of Transfiguration. I will read for you Matthew 17, verse 2. It says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. But I like a lot how Mark, uh, Mark writing from Peter's um, testimony, Mark says in 9.3, And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. It should be an amazing experience to see that. But we as believers, we have a hope that we will see it. Now I, I want you to come with me to Revelation 21. Verses from 22 to 27. Sometimes I read these long portions in the middle of a sermon... But is that I really like to remind these kind of situations in the scripture. I really like to read about our end and uh, what is going to happen at the end. That's what gives us hope. Let's read on verse uh, 22. Revelation 21 verse 22. This is new heaven and earth. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. 
and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it but only those whose names are written in the lamb's book of life a great feature of new earth and heaven is that we will not need any kind of light i cannot imagine we won't need a moon or a sun because the light that goes out from god is going to make it all clear that's that's amazing so i just took you through these passages so we may think together as god when john says god is light normally light implies two things when we're talking about god it might imply clarity because god is the one who reveals things to us is the agent in which we can we can know things and uh, ultimately we have the holy spirit in us that make us understand the scriptures but i don't think that's the sense in which john is talking in this moment here in this part i think it's the other sense that normally is used for light it's it's about perfection wholeness holiness it's a a god that himself represents all the morals completely and perfect morally and that's the case that we have here so in this second part of verse 5 when john is telling us that god is light and in him there is no darkness at all what he is saying is this is the holy almighty perfect morally god and there's no way you can see a tiny spot of darkness or evil in his character of his person that's why this first point or this first feature we saw is that sin opposes to god's character there's no sin there's no flaw in the character or the person of god and that's what is trying to make clear john before going in all these verses on wednesday night i was uh, on bible study with kim and elia in the in in their backyard and i was doing the sermon i was thinking about darkness and light and how darkness and light cannot be together and that when the sun was going down it was getting dark they have some little lights on the porch and i was noticing that while the night was getting darker and darker that darkness was not reaching us because we had those little lights and i was wow this is what i'm talking about in my sermon darkness and light cannot be together 
sin and the Almighty God cannot be together. And this is why we're talking about sin as a hindrance of, of our fellowship with God. If, if we're sinning, if we're practicing sin, there's no way we can have communion with the all-holy God. Because darkness and light cannot be together. So... Are we living a life that is pleasing this God who is light? Or are we living more in darkness? We're going to, to talk more about that. I brought those uh, separate verses. I, I could even see Kim's face when he saw verse 6, 8, and 10. He was like, what is that? So the reason we're going to go into those separate verses is because if you look at them, the three of them begin with an if. If we, after studying this a lot and um, looking into various opinions, there's various Different scholars have different opinions. I think because of the context that this if statement hears, here are talking about some of the ideas from the world, the Roman Greek culture and the world, that John is trying to make clear to these people. What is the truth about this if here? We're going, to, we're going to walk through each of those one by one. That's why our second feature today of, of sin that deeply hinders us is that sin makes us hypocrites. I looked into the Merriam-Webster and I brought you one of the definitions. It's a short definition. A hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. Let's try to walk through these three verses and uh, see what's going on. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we go saying, oh, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I have fellow him, a fellowship with him. And uh, we are living a life against God's moral principles. We're lying. And this is very common. This is very common everywhere. People who they say they believe something, but they live in a different way. You don't see a real agreement or concordance between what they say and what they live. 
In Cuba, we have, uh, sometimes when you, I don't know, you, you should tell me what, what is the thing here. Some wives talk to the guy, something like this. You are a lamp to the street and you are darkness to your house. It's a real normal phrase. Are those kind of guys that in the street, they are so gentle, so good. They help everybody around, but in their houses, they are a completely different person. They don't fix anything. They, don't, they are not kind with the kids. With the kids outside, they are so good and, and gentle and sweet. But with the kids in, in the house, they don't play with them. So when you, when you are near in the neighborhood and you listen to the wife, you are a lamp to the street, but you are darkness to your house. It's saying that. That that guy is not the same person. And we have to, we have to take care of that. We have to think about it. Are we like this? Are we saying we're Christians and we believe in God and cursing on God? Do we say we believe in Jesus Christ and we are working for other things in our life or living for other things? We should be careful about it. That's why I had a little point under your second statement there that says lying to others. Because when we do this, when we say that we have fellowship with Him, but we live in darkness, we're lying to others. We are lying to those people we are telling them. Okay, I'm a Christian, but I know I am stealing, or I am doing something, or I am living in some way in darkness. But I'm trying to deceive others. We could go on, and we could be doing something like that. It's our life, our intimate life, in concordance with what we say we believe. We should look at that. Now, in verse 8, John is telling to these people another thing they could be doing wrong. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Here, I got a detail while I was studying that I, I never got before. When it says, if we say that we have no sin, there is not saying that we are not sinning. There's a difference when you say, I am not sinning and uh, I have no sin. When you don't use the, the verb, but the non, you are talking about the culpability or the guilt of sin, not about sinning per se. When he's saying here, if we say that we have no sin, 
He's talking about the guilt or the culpability of the sin. If we say that we're not guilty because of sin, if we don't have culpability because of sin, we are deceiving ourselves because we know that when we sin, we are guilty. We have a responsibility. So he says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. I want you to think in the first, in verse 6, we were lying to the other people. We were saying we had fellowship, but we were living in darkness is the first example. But this one here is not talking about that difference between what I believe and what I do. This one here is talking about when I think I'm fine. The illustration for this is it, just, I was thinking it's just that. Are those Christians who said, I'm fine. They're doing some things that are wrong. They're seen, but they say, I'm fine. That's not a big deal. And I brought you here. I'm trying to limit my. I brought you here from from school when I was in Frontier. They gave us a list of some rationalizations that we do with our sin. First one. Well, nobody's perfect. I'm doing that, but I have to do something wrong because I cannot be perfect. Well, no. You cannot justify what you're doing. That's not a right. Second one, everyone else is doing it. All my friends are doing it. So that should be fine. That's especially with young people. When they get to college... They say, well, they're having sex or whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Everybody's doing it. I will do it. No. We sometimes rationalize and say, yeah, it's fine. No, it's not fine. That's what, it, what he's trying to tell to those people here. We cannot say that we have no sin. There's sin. There's culpability for sin. Three. It's a new generation. Don't you know that the rules change? No, the rules don't change. God's word doesn't change. Four. That's pretty common in, in, in places where there's a lot of need. Especially in third world Christians and, and places with a lot of need. My needs are, are being met through the normal channels. Therefore, it must be okay with God, not, not capital G, for me to get my needs met outside the normal channels. Happens a lot in Cuba. They don't get enough money. People who work in the bakery, for example, they steal. Some Christians steal in Cuba. I'm telling you that. Because they're doing that. They're taking the flour and the, the oil and stuff to their houses. 
because they're doing that. Government doesn't pay me enough, so I will steal. That's wrong. Five, the Bible doesn't address this activity, so there must be freedom. And, and most of the time, it's addressed, but you don't want to recognize it or go there. You said, that's not in the Bible. Well, yeah, there's a principle someplace, but you don't want to go to that principle. Like the Bible doesn't say anything about short shorts. Well, but it's saying about dressing with dignity. So, what are you talking about? And the sixth one. That began even in Genesis 3. He started it. She started it. Are we doing that? Let me tell you, I was through this sermon and I have felt sad. Because sometimes... Thinking about all, all of these things we do concerning sin, it's, it's sad for me to think how we do these things, how I do these things. Sometimes we get caught in this, in this kind of things. But it is clear here, and he's telling us, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, we go to verse 10. While this verse 8 was about lying to ourselves, verse now 10 is even worse. It's when we're making God a liar. When we say, it's not like that. This is really, really bad. And uh, I think this is when, I think this verse 6, what happens in verse 6 and 8 could happen in a real Christian. That could happen. But I don't think what he's describing in verse 10 could happen to a real Christian. Because, let's read it. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. How in the world... A Christian will admit that we have not sinned. That puts down our whole system of beliefs. Because for me to be a Christian today here, one of the first things I did, I don't know if it was the first or the second, is that I realized I am a sinner. And I am a sinner, so I need a Savior. My works cannot in any way be good in God's eyes, so I need someone who pay for my sin. 
So I don't think this last one was for Christians. John is talking about possible things they could be thinking because of the outward influence. But I don't think this could be addressed. It's just a possibility here. If we say that we have not seen, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's so clear. In Romans 3, we all have seen and we fall short of what? What? The glory of God. You cannot be a Christian and, see, and say you have not seen. It's a kind of... When I was looking into the three things, I have seen Christians, especially lately, going from A, B, and C. And C kind of, uh, it's not totally, but for example, I have, been, I have seen Christians, especially after COVID, beginning to get far from God. First a little bit, just doing something a little wrong. They begin lying to other people. After that, they begin to say, I am okay. What I'm doing is fine. They're getting fodder from God. And uh, after that, they begin saying things like, uh, making God a liar. Things like, I don't have to go to church. They go back even to say things in opposition to clear things stated in the Bible. And when you do that, you're saying God is a liar. When you contradict something that is clear in the Bible, you're saying God is a liar. Sin can be something really slippery. And uh, as John is trying to put things straight with these people here, we should try to analyze ourselves and, uh, and see what's going on. We cannot go on that road. We cannot even begin to go on that road. But the good news, I don't know if I put it there. Oh, my bad. But I put it on your little handout. And that's what cheers me up at the end. I wrote there at the end. Because I was afraid you could be as discouraged as me after talking about all this drifting unseen. And I wrote that for you there in your handout so you can have it and you cannot be discouraged. I wrote you first John 2, 1b to verse 2. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself 
is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. That's why this sermon has a part two. We're going to see next week the solution to this if that John has been talking about here. We're going to go a little bit deeper in doctrine and some things, but it will be good so we may understand that what we all looked last sermon, that having Christ solves all our matters, give us fellowship with God, and we can have joy in Him. So God bless you during this week. Think about this by knowing that we have a Savior that draws us closer to God in Calvary, and He keeps doing it. And we're going to talk about that next week. I will pray.